Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombus donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. We're only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Waterford today because, like, I'm hard, I'm heartbroken. There's only one place to start, Brian, and that's Davy Fitz back back to his old tricks. He might have calmed down for I don't know half a year um, since his last in- in- incursion onto the onto the field. I don't know what he's complaining about. He said that's the second time in a row that we've t- we've had a fella taken out of the ball. It happened in the last one here as well. Yet there seems to be one rule for one set of management and another for another. I'm actually seething at the officials again. It didn't abuse him. I was making my point quite clearly that our lad had been taken out off the ball. They ended up getting a score and that's not right. His point is obviously correct. He was taken out off the ball by Jason Flynn. Um, it was wreck. Um, let Connor Cooney off to get a puck out. We know that he ha- his case was right. But you can't walk in out and walk in on the field and aggressively shout at, at, at officials. Yeah, fully agree. He, he reminds me now at this stage of Mario Balotelli. And I'm just waiting for somebody to pull up the T-shirt and say, why all was me? <laughs> um, it's just ridiculous at this stage. Look, his point, of course, is valid. He, there was a player foul, but he can't keep encroaching on the field. And that therein lies the problem. He's constantly at it. Um, it's, it's, he's constantly been berating officials on the line. And I suppose he, his past is catching up on him. Yeah. On this particular instance, again, he entered the field to play. Like, no matter what way he wants it, even if he says he wasn't, um, he didn't abuse them, he's still very aggressive in his manner. And as I said, he's, he has passed um, instances of this. So you can understand from like a GA context, from the from um, the referees association or whatever they're called, like they want to stamp this out of the game. And it's just Davey seems to be constantly at it. Of course, he'll point that other managers are at it, but... 
but not as often or not as probably in your face as what Davy is constantly. Yeah. And like. I don't think they go in onto the field. Like Brian Cody's definitely given that fourth official his mind, but he's behind the line, you know? Like I mean yeah, yeah, I think that's a very valid point. And in fairness, like Davy like I think it was last year in the league um, you know, sure he got an eight-week ban out of that from from going in and yeah. interfering with referees. So, you know, he has to learn from that too. You can't go in on the field. And um, he's, of course, he's, he's he's admitted before Brian that he went in on the field against Tipperary to get his team going. So, like, I mean, yes. and his team needed it at that point as well. I think he's doing this uh, as a tactic to try and fire them up in some way. So, like, I mean, and, he still can't do again, that. Yeah, and once again, it worked yesterday because yeah. Wexford responded really well from it. So it seems to be almost a trigger point uh, for for the players. Um, should they need that they probably shouldn't but at the same time it seems to work um, so yeah I, I, I fully take on board what you're saying the other thing that struck me afterwards is that he actually went back up to the stand and was able to put back on his headphones again and still um, communicate I suppose, yeah communicate and having a, a massive influence on the game um, he shouldn't have been don't, no you shouldn't have been and you don't see that in other sports where, where players have been sent to the stand so that's something that probably needs to be looked at you know um because it was no, yeah, because you're right. Because it was no punishment for him when he spent. He just went back to the very same role. Like when you're sent off, you can't communicate to the sideline. That's the whole point of being sent off. Yeah, that's the whole point, man. If you're suspended, you're not supposed to communicate either. So, um, you know, it, it seemed to be absolutely no punishment. And in fact, he he got his team riled up and got them performing even better by doing so. So, no punishment whatsoever. But Davy is always um, he feels he's more sinned against than sinning. So. It, you know, as I, as I said from the outset, it, it, it's, it's why always me. I always wonder what, you see it in soccer as well, and they're absolutely attacking this poor fourth official who had no hand or part in this decision. And like, I mean, maybe if, if he was to give out to the fourth official in the first half and then the fourth official would go into the referee's uh, meeting at half time and say to the referee, geez, actually, he was going mad at that. I think you might have got that one wrong and it might have had an effect. But telling that fourth official there, am I missing something? Like, what are you, what are you even benefiting out of that for? Yeah, nothing whatsoever. I think it's just a person that you can vent at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, it's seriously, it's like he can't do anything, absolutely nothing. He can't communicate with the referee whatsoever. Um, so I, I don't know. Is it, I don't know. Was that a move to try and stop managers from from directing disputes at um, officials on the on the day of a match? I don't know. But jeez, um, I wouldn't like to be that fourth official. Either. No, it's a terrible job. You're a sitting duck. At least the referee can run around and he doesn't have to listen to it. Like I mean, this lad's just standing right beside a manager who's given him an awful time. Like I don't know how. Like it's the worst job in it's the worst job in the GEA being a fourth official. There's no doubt about that. You have no influence over decisions and you're just getting abuse for anything the referee does wrong. So like it's like an apprenticeship though for the referees because the referees coming up to the ranks have to do their time as fourth official and then eventually do their time as as linesmen. So um, it seems to be an apprenticeship for for a or or a rite of passage to try and make it onto the big days. Yeah, baptism of fire. Come here, I have to ask you about D- Dunbar's miss because I remember specifically if it was last week or the week before me saying oh, it was Sean Moran's penalty. I was saying surely hitting it into the ground would you would lose a bit of pace off it, and that's what that's what happened. Dunbar's no. I think he he just rushed his shot completely. Like he hit way too close to the keeper, any side of the keeper whatsoever, and that was in the back of the net. And he just completely rushed it. So, but from that close, um, from that close in, Brian, surely you don't go off the ground. Surely you're just driving that straight into the net. Or what benefit is there of hitting the ground? Or did he mishit it? Or what? what oh, do you I think? think he mishit it. I just think he rushed his shot. And like right. in the, in that situation, low into the bottom corner, either bottom corner is just not stoppable. Yeah. Like even if you put it higher, like a goalie will get his hands up 
high way quicker than he'll get down low like talk to any good keeper that's out there and they'll confirm that so I get him going low I, I have no problem with that but obviously to me he rushed his shot and he just kept it way too close to the keeper Jeez it was a terrible terrible I don't want to be too hard on him but it was a terrible miss because the pass was good he caught it in his eye line like I mean it's not like he had to go scrambling for the ball and had to like he had no if, if, that, if it was missed from that distance in Gaelic football you'd be saying that's a terrible miss in hurling Jesus Christ you just have to get any strike on it and the goalkeeper couldn't possibly save that yeah, that's been honest. Now that was a terrible miss, and as you're right, I don't you don't want to be harder than anyone. Of course, he, it was saved, but it was a miss more than a save. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, look, uh, you can't say he bottled it, but just he was unlucky. You know that kind of way. He he, he should have he should have scored, and he he he'll have nightmares about that last night because he knows himself. And he's a much better player than that, so it was a pity from his perspective. But it was real end to end stuff at that stage. At that you know, stage, it was yeah. You know, uh, it was probably the only exciting part of the game. Um, apart from probably Davey running on and getting sent off because the rest of the game was absolutely shocking but, yeah. um, you know Kevin Foley with a fantastic interception up the other end of the field when they, when they slowed it down you saw that he got the hurl in just as as um, Davey Glennon was bearing down on goal um, and, and he he's just got it out for out to the side so they could clear their lines but yeah those last couple of minutes were helter-skelter they were frantic anyway. yeah they were definitely frantic another thing I wanted to ask you about was Rory O'Connor's uh, yellow card now you can tell me the technical side of a ball being thrown in between two players because in my experience of watching hurling the two players are meant to just pull and the two the, you hear the clash of the ash and one hurl could get broken or whatever but it seems to be that now there seems to be a technique like it was a Connor Cooney put his, put his foot in as t- stood forward a little bit as in to block to, to protect the ball from a throw in and Rory O'Connor went to pull and he pulled across Connor Cooney's leg and he gets a yellow card but surely Rory O'Connor's doing what you're supposed to do for a throw in ball fully agree with you um, I think that rule really needs to be cleared up as you say traditionally you threw in the ball and God forgive you if you put your foot in there or <laughs> any other piece of your body it was taken off you and rightly so but over the last probably 10-15 years there's been a move towards you know trying to as you said get your body in front of the ball you know just just kind of jostling and pushing and holding on to the other person's hurl and you're trying to nearly catch the ball or with your hand or even try and get one touch into your hand um so i think that needs to be eradicated from the game uh, it's actually an eyesore i'd much rather you, you, as the rule says the players have to have the hurls on the ground you throw in the ball and the two boys have to pull um, right. i think if you do anything else i think it should be a free because um go back to you know the, the basics of the game I, I actually think it's an eyesore because that's why you have so many people in, in these rooks then because it's you're, you're throwing it into an, to a, to an almost rook situation and you are players coming flying in at least we've lads pulling they have to stand back a few metres or they're going to get at the tail end of a swing and um you know, generally, if, if at least if, if they connect, the ball is going to go flying. You know, so I uh, know I bring it back into the to the clash any day, as you said, the clash of the ash. That's what people want to see, and I think that's what the rules actually state, and they should actually enforce that one. Yeah, no, you're dead right because he, he, sure he is. If you're turning your body and trying to get down over the ball, that's the start of a rook, which is exactly what the throw in is meant to be. Throw, you're you're supposed to be trying to free up a rook by throwing in the ball, uh, and it all depends on the referee too, because. It, it, look it's open to interpretation it's like some referees gave, like, like what happened yesterday with Johnny Murphy he gave that free and a yellow card it's seen as an awful stroke and another referee might say no you put your leg in front of it play on 
Right. My, you know, so it's really open to, you especially see that at club level. Um, certain referees will just, you know, they might a little bit more agricultural at club level. So I don't think that free would have been given in too many club games. Is it a brave thing for Conor Cooney to do or a foolish thing or what? Or is it, would you not get, imagine you're going to get hurt here if one lad's pulling and you're putting your foot uh, yeah, in. Yeah, of course you're going to get hurt, but sometimes you can buy a handy free by doing it too, by stepping in front of it. Right. Okay, yeah, no. You know, so it need, needs most in certain games, you know. But yeah. and you're trying to read the referee as well because Johnny was very, he, he was very officious yesterday. I thought he blew for a lot of soft stuff and didn't let the game run at certain times. Um, so maybe Conor Cooney had actually caught on to that and, and, and put his leg in and said he'd get handy free here. But you're dead right, you'll get a right good smack for yourself. Yeah, no, definitely. I don't think I would have tried those tactics. I just continue yeah, on with the, football, the so clash of the ash. I'd be ha- happy enough and getting that shock up through the hurl. Anyway. I, can, I can assure you, you wouldn't have been going into the clash of the ash. <laughs> you would have been, been hanging out the sides. Listen, I'm I'm a mouthpiece who survived club football in leash. So listen, there's no doubt I know how to handle myself on a, on a, Gaelic, foot, a, Gaelic, a Gaelic pitch. Either one, either one. Any Anyways, um, having my mouth and playing hurling would not be the smartest thing to do. So I, lear- I learned that from a young age. Um, come here. What did you What did you make of Cummins saying that Galway had figured out Fanning's puck out signals? Yeah, and um, they did. I like being honest. As I, as I said last week, Dublin figured them out as well, and. Um, they seem to be persisting with this kind of, I won't say a short puck out, but you know, a, a tactical puck out, and they're they're looking for runners all over the field. And, yeah. Um. You know, Cummins made a big ordeal about half time out the way he's striking the ball, and you know, he's right, but but the problem is, is when it goes wrong, it goes horribly wrong. And as you've seen that, it was intercepted a couple of times, and they, and Galway should have had a goal on it. Um. Connor Cooney was a bit too nonchalant on on, on his shot. Um. He should have had that rattled in the back of the net. He was but, nonchalant. Um, yeah. Um, going back to the puckouts, yeah. Look, that that technique is very difficult, and, and as I said, it, it looks class when he's when he's pulling it off. And but as I said, when it goes wrong, it, it it's completely wrong. But I think Wexford, they're probably overdoing it in tactics across the board in terms of their puckout strategy, in terms of their their withdrawing all the men back into the into the defence at certain times, and then pushing them all up in waves. As, as I keep saying, very much like football. But um, I actually think they have. A really good core team there. I think they've twelve or thirteen of some some really top class hurlers, and we're just not seeing them in the game enough. I don't think those tactics serve those players well, and I think they're holding them back a little bit. Even like I think we're not seeing or very little from. Well, the con- has started in Miss Kalecki's room. Please record immediately. I'm sure you can hear that in the back. <laughs> 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 yeah, lunchtime detention has started here. Um, I'm not needed to go for once. Um, yeah, so so I don't think we're seeing enough from Conor McDonald. You know, he's only getting a point from play and, and the odd goal every now and again. I think the same from Rory O'Connor. Rory O'Connor he's top class forward out there. You know, um, and I think he should be on the freeze as well. I think uh, Lee is too erratic on the freeze, and um, the likes of Dermot O'Keefe is a fantastic hurler too. And you know, I, I just think I just don't don't think the Waterford tactics, while they are being or Wexford tactics, while they are being um hugely competitive, I actually think they can be even better if they were they were given a little bit more traditional style. Yeah, no, maybe. We'll talk about that. Uh was it Jim Bulger anyways, is on the same wavelength as me and you on that one anyway, Brian, which we'd be delighted to hear. Um we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that in part two because I think that's interesting. But just the thing on Brendan Cummins, so he told he said Eamon O'Shea taught him 
the puck out technique and the puck out technique was to have strike through the ball always have the same technique and that all makes perfect sense but Brendan Cummins never would have pucked it out short so for me looking at the technique of a long puck and a snappy kind of wristy kind of short pass they're completely different techniques right you, you wouldn't be address you wouldn't be striking through a ball that's going 10 metres the same as you would one that's going 90 metres yeah totally agree with you I think yeah Brennan I think was trying to make the point of poking it into the wind maybe um, and yeah of course you need to get your whole body behind it and you need the same stroke every single time but I think he was a little bit off on that one because yeah. um, he, he was on the wrong wavelength because Mark Fanning was trying to do something completely different as you said he was trying to hit you know a very measured um, we won't say a short puck out but a, a, a tactical puck out to, to cornerbacks wingbacks even midfielders yeah he was trying times. he was kind so, of trying to snap them out there rather than yeah, actually drive exactly them. so that that's totally different from opening your shoulders and trying to drive the ball down the field yeah no exactly right uh kerry westmead right so this was a great result from offaly you'd be delighted to see i'm sure you were surprised by the result but uh really happy about it we talked uh to shane conway last thursday on the show and kerry are down uh fionan mackesi dahi griffin Brandon Barrett who all left the squad to go to um, America he had to bring in Fintan O'Connor had to bring in the recently retired Pat Kelly back into the panel for the Westmead game he said Paul Costello tweaked ligaments in his knee and should be back in a couple of weeks Jason Diggins is out and Fionan McKessie is gone to America so that's our whole half back line from the league final not available for the Antrim game or the Westmead game so there's two more names on top of the three that I mentioned at the start so they're down to the bare bones Kerry really to go up to O'Connor Park is an incredible um, result I looked at the scores out of this on the Buff Egan Snapchat which had been uploaded to YouTube I'm not on Snapchat but this looked bloody toed and froed and looked like an absolute classic of a game Yeah and you know it's a brilliant result from Kerry but you know you said you, you spoke to Shane Conway like there is one of the, the top forwards in the game and he's been at it now for a couple of years and he definitely did it with UCC and the one that Fitzgibbon earlier this year so he's a household name for anyone in hurling circles and you know you're delighted to see the likes of him you know shooting the lights out you know time after time and he's he's top class and there was rumours even of, of being muted at one stage that there was transfer there was talks of him transferring to Cork now it could all be just talk on the grapevine it could be absolutely no truth in that but you wouldn't be surprised at the same time because this guy is a, is a top class hurler and, and would really suit Cork style. But um, brilliant result, you know. Kerry didn't have a good day in their first their first day out against Antrim, but I suppose you, you have to take some logistics into that. Kerry had to go to literally the length of the country, up to up to Antrim, and it obviously had an effect on their performance. So yeah, they actually, Sorry, just to cut you off there, they they had to take the Friday off work the Kerry players because yeah. it was so long away up. And the game was obviously on a Saturday. Like, I mean, that's that's incredible that you'd have to take the day off. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, we talk about this amateur status and, and the need for semi-professionalism. Well, therein lies a case in point, but it's not one of the big teams, so it's not it's not really documented too well. So, um, yeah, again, that's for another debate. But it just shows the commitment, though, that these boys have for, for Kerry Hurling. I'm, I'm, I'm good friend with a former Kerry Hurler, Tyke Flynn there. And, you know, he... he He's hugely passionate, and, and um, you know he. You can't stress like people. People are a little bit dismissive towards Kerry Hurling um, because obviously that there's such a f- football 
county, but there's a pocket of, of, of uh, hurling country in Kerry and they're as passionate um, as any county that is out there and, and as good a hurler as anywhere that's out there. Um, Kerry's problem down to the years is get, trying to get them all pulling in the one direction because obviously they've a hugely competitive club championship and it can get quite nasty at times and it can spill into the inter-county setup. So when they get them all pulled in the one direction, these boys are well able to hurl. Yeah, no, they definitely are. So it was a huge, a huge shock because it was funny enough, I was talking to um, Damien from Paddy Power here last Thursday and he said for the league final it was it was even money and for this game just on the back of two two results in between for both teams Westmead had gone in at one to four favourites and I think Kerry were seven to two or nine to two or something so it's unbelievable that it would change that much but it was interesting well, it's not often Paddy Power getting wrong now let me tell you no it is not it's not it is not definitely not so Kerry Mayor Fuerna got sent off so this is a big controversy obviously we got we didn't see any of it on the Sunday game as usual because RT just go for the glamour Munster Championship although they did show Leinster Championship and it didn't uh, cover itself in glory yesterday we'll talk about that in part two but the Kerry Mayor Fuerna got sent off. Now, this is an interesting one because Fintan O'Connor was talking after the game. So he's trying to explain why he got sent off. So he said the Westmead player just handed him the flag and he was pointing at one of our lads to do something. And in fairness, it looked like he was waving the flag in front of the fella taking the sideline, which he wasn't. Hmm, interesting. He said the Westmead... <laughs> yeah, he said the, the Westmead Mayor Fuerna got sent off in the league final, which they won. So maybe, maybe getting the Mayor Fuerna sent off is the way forward. Now, Fintan O'Connor, I'm sure is an honourable man and I'm, I spoke to him on the show before and he's a really sound fella. But if he thinks I'm going to believe that the Mayor Fuerna was just using the flag to point at one of his players and shaking it, <laughs> shaking it in front of the Westmead player. I'm not buying that one, uh, Fintan. What do you think? Uh, we we haven't seen we haven't seen this obviously, but I think that we haven't seen it. So, but the reading of that, no, I'm not buying it either. Sorry, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to leave you with one more here, Brian, before we go into a- analyze that game. You can comment on it or you don't have to comment on it. And I'm just going to say that someday I want my partner Itzy to look at me the way Anthony Daly looks at Joanne Cantwell. (laughs) (laughs) No comments. Okay, we'll come back in part two. Let's chill the beans. There still is a lot of work to be done yet. Just give us a small bit of time. Just give us a small bit of time. Let's chill the beans. But I tell you, give us a year, year and a bit. Just give us a small bit of time. Just give us a small bit of time. Let's chill the beans. 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 There still is a lot of work to be done yet. Just give us a small bit of time. Just give us a small bit of time. Let's chill the beans. But I tell you, give us a year, year and a bit. Just give us a small bit of time. Just give us a small bit of time. Let's chill the beans. Yeah, so Brian, like we were saying in part one, this wasn't the greatest advertisement for the Leinster Hurling Championship. We were trying to push to get some Leinster Hurling matches on the 
on the television we got one on television look obviously the wind had a few b- huge bearing on the game and Salt Hill I don't remember too many classic matches in Salt Hill there was an awful lot of wides I think 30 in total between the teams an awful lot of unforced errors it actually reminded me of the game I left in O'Connor Park between Leash and Westmead with a really strong wind where it's just non-stop mistake after mistake and you're just watching it going Jesus they're not handling these conditions well at all No it certainly wasn't and add in the tactics of, of Wexford and Galway trying to counteract them and it was a very poor game to watch to be honest I was actually bored watching it and you know as you said all the wides all the unforced errors and I suppose the referee blowing the whistle quite a number of times as well it just it was a great advertisement for not just um, the Leinster Championship but just hurling in general um, it was definitely a weekend where the football matches were more exciting than hurling and not often I say that so I don't say that no it's not easy for you to say that and Galway went with Sean Loftus as the sweeper so we knew that Wexford obviously would be giving them a sweeper Um, usually it's Aidan Hart who has played that role so often for Galway because he's a great utility man unusual for them to change that was it? Yeah, especially like Sean Loftus is close to breaking into the team for the last couple of years, and but he's a very good ball player. So I suppose they obviously had, had practiced this quite a lot in 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 house. So they would have come up with with this idea and maybe trying to allow the more experienced players to be um, the man markers. But yeah, I agree with you. Aiden Hart or even Park Mannion for me would have been more, more ideal as a sweeper. Um, I felt they overdone the, the short passing a couple of times when they did actually hit the ball in long to cause Wexford trouble. And I thought they should have should have done that um, quite a lot more than what they were actually at. Yeah, because I was reading Brendan Cummins in The Independent and he was saying that, so Sean Loftus obviously was their sweeper and Foley was the sweeper for Wexford. But Cahill Mannion's role, who'd been playing midfield and he ended up playing wing forward, but in a really withdrawn role. So you're almost giving Wexford two defenders then. So that t- tactically, that didn't make much sense to be dropping Mannion back so deep. It didn't. And being honest, I was down at the Wexford-Galway game last year in Wexford Park. I was on duty. And Galway put um, Johnny Glynn edge of the square and they literally went route one with every single ball. Yeah. And their full forward line had, had um, Conor Whelan and Conor Cooney as well. And they just towered over the, the Wexford defenders. And Conor Cooney in particular had, had had a great game down there. So I was surprised they didn't go back route one, particularly in the first half when they had the wind. I know Johnny Glynn didn't start, but sometimes you have to think horses for courses. Like Johnny Glynn really works in this type of game. Um, so if he was able to come on, I think they really should have should have started him um, and, and and have that option. But probably Wexford won the toss too and, and, and elected to, to hurl into the breeze in the first half and try and keep it somewhere tight. But, you know, when you see the money scoring four points in the first half, um, you know, you know you're not watching a great game. But look, Davey makes no no bones about it. He makes no excuses to anyone. He doesn't care what anyone else thinks about style. It's all about results from his perspective. But um, it's definitely not one for the purest anyway. No, because we saw no real quality. Like I mean, I saw. Um, I think did Galway only score two points from play in the second half. But one of them was from Jason Flynn on 67 minutes. It was a really important one, and it was a brilliant diagonal ball by Hussey, and. You're just looking at that going, like, I know conditions are tough, but that's one moment of quality in a full bloody game. Yeah, and that's, that's what I'm saying about they really need to, to, to really need to have played more diagonal ball and long ball inside. Because um, even Johnny Glynn came out and caught a ball and won a free and stuff like that. So, you know, they needed more of that where they went a little bit more route one. It was going away from probably the, the style that Michal Dunne has had over the last few years and a, a contradiction to his style so I think he he overthought the way that Wexford played and tried to counteract it they had a big tactical battle in Salt Hill 
um, in the league as well. And Galway won com- comprehensively enough, but you have to remember they had Joe Canning that day too, and he took a lot of watching. And he had a big influence on the game that day. And Colin Mannion coming from midfield had a much bigger bearing on the game as well, whereas he was actually quite enough when he was at wing forward yesterday. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Michal O'Donoghue said after a game with 10 minutes to go, I'd have taken a draw. And I'm sure he would when Sean Murphy got that point to put Wexford ahead. Jeez, you'd imagine Wexford should have won that. And then we had Dunbar obviously missed that goal chance. We had Lee Chin who missed another one. Um, who didn't have his radar in the whole game and really you'd probably be looking at Wexford kicking themselves um, for not winning that game Oh definitely Wexford should have won that game hands down they had the chances um, as he said and Lee Chen's radar was definitely off he was very poor on the freeze um, as I said earlier I think Rory O'Connor should be hitting him I think he's a, a much more reliable free taker um, you know Lee kind of forces he strikes uh, in fairness to him he, he scored the hardest one he had in the first half out, in the, out um, underneath the stand yeah. but um, there's a big difference between hitting long range freeze and, and hitting uh, close in freeze um, long range freeze you can kind of there's less pressure um, whatsoever and you can just you can almost just have the attitude of, of let's have a goal follow follow through on your strike and um, you know not hope for the best but obviously you know there's just less pressure whereas close in you have to be extremely accurate you can, you can sometimes take them um, you know in more narrow angles and, and etc but you just ha- you just have to be more tuned in and you have to be very careful in your in your strike when you're closer in and I just think Rory Connor is, is much better at taking them but to go back to the original point yeah Wexford had their chances and uh, they should have seen out that game because they had all the momentum in, in that second half um, especially playing with that wind uh, you know so Wexford definitely left that one behind them but after 50 minutes it was it was the game was just it was, it was really boring for a long time yeah. but I suppose Galway just didn't do enough to actually put put Wexford away No both teams were terrible if we're being honest about it like I mean both teams were really 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 poor like I mean they didn't make any comment on the COCOM yesterday on uh, Davey only made two subs a double substitution in the 49th minute now Jack O'Connor came on for Paddy Foley is that a half forward for a half back and Paul Morris for Aidan Nolan which is a corner forward for a midfield half forward that looked to me like a very aggressive substitution and I was wondering looking at the game has he done something with his shape now has the sweeper gone off and it looked like they left more forwards up it looked like they were getting more change up front maybe I'm, I'm overthinking it because of the substitutes because I look back at one stage and they did have a sweeper back so I'm not sure you really need to be at the game to know exactly what he did with that double substitution I suppose Yeah I don't think they did away at the sweeper but it seems to be a clear tactic and I saw this first hand against Dublin the week before that they start pushing up the field an awful lot more so the half backs particularly start moving up the field Paulie Foley was added last week and so was Matthew O'Hanlon so maybe Jack O'Connor coming in was going into a more advanced position and, and they allowed the sweeper to sit back and they kind of just go for it and you know Davey was talking during the week about his, his philosophy of hurling is very much like Johan Cruyff's and it's free hurling so maybe that's what he means because um, up to the to around the 50 55 minute mark it's very conservative type of hurling it's, as I said it's football tactics when you play one forward inside everyone is hanging back but uh, it seems to be a complete shift in emphasis then in, in going down the home straight with with, the, with about 20 minutes to go because even you saw Sean Murphy there bursting forward a couple of yeah. times he got a great score again so um, it's definitely it's definitely a change in, in the way so they're obviously have a number of systems that they're going through yeah why doesn't he just go for it from the start like I mean I always remember Davey with Clare 
Um, and you didn't really know from game on game what way he was going to line up. Like, I mean, with Wexford, he seems to be more predictable. Is that fair? Yeah. Um, I, like, the bit I don't like about it, and look, he's entitled to do what he wants, but the bit I don't like about it is he kind of goes on that Wexford were useless before he came in. He kind of implied that yesterday as well, that... Um, they were at a low web and he's after look at the results he's getting from them and pulling them up like Wexford have really good hurlers you know they were they were very competitive when Liam Dunn went in and you know they even beat Davies Clare yeah. and they've won 321s in a row and like these aren't mugs like these are these are really good hurlers as I said I think they've 12 or 13 really top class hurlers and I just think he's kind of he's very on the defensive because if you say a word about him or his tactics and the way that he's setting up um, Wexford, he, he you know he 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 goes on the attack straight away. And as you said, Jim Bulger obviously um, <laughs> put his views out, and he was he was shot down straight away. He feels he has to answer back anyone that has a go. Yeah, it's funny when he's re- he's replying back to a horse tra- <laughs> trainer about about his tactics and telling them to stick to his own sport. stick to your own sport. It's pure Davy though. Like I mean, Davy just won't wouldn't lie down for anyone. Like I mean, he every he's a little bit like Mourinho like that. He's just like a com- he's completely gets on the defensive, and anyone that says anything about him is getting uh, run over, and that's that's it. What about Galway then? They're not. Uh, they're not uh, firing at all, are they? Like, I mean, it's weird what's happened to them. Like, I mean, I don't even want to mention Joe Canning. We know his loss. That's very, very obvious. But surely he can't have been gluing them together that much. I know Joe, Joe Cooney played wing back, which is not an unusual position for him. Obviously, puck outs, uh, winning puck outs in the half forward line is now a problem where it wasn't when the two Joes were there. Yeah, and the one thing they had when, when they won the All-Ireland was they had six massive men that all could hurl and they had another one or two that could come in as well. Um, so they could go direct and it really suited them and it, the burden wasn't just on Joe. Now, obviously, every one of them were in great form as well. Um, there has to be an element of, of players have, have lost a little bit of form or um, can't really say hunger because, you know, that's that's very intrinsic and you can't really measure that. But... Um, you know, Joe obviously was holding the forwards together on the days that it went bad. Yeah. But they they really need some leaders at the moment. They're they're probably they're caught with a couple of similar type players, so they're they're confused over what to do with Niall Burke, Connor Cooney, Jason Flynn, um whether to start Johnny Glynn. He's supposed to be home now full time, so they really do need to to me they need to start him again. Um and and they need to start getting more out of those hurlers I said. I was surprised to not see Connor Cooney on the freeze from the start. I think he's an excellent free taker. He was hitting them um, on and off with Joe there for a couple of years. He, he he's very good at them, um, but they seem to have went with Niall Burke. That didn't work, and then ended up going to Jason Flynn. So Connor Cooney's down there as number four in, on the free taker list, which can eat away at you if you're a player then as well. You're nearly thinking, well, I'm I'm number four on on the pecking order just in general, so I'm not even guaranteed my place. So um, for me, Connor Cooney is a an automatic starter if he's if he's in form and he should be to, I, I would have had him hitting the freeze because he, he should be seen out 70 minutes yeah exactly so it's, we- it's weird with Galway so they had an identity as a big physically imposing team who put the ball out long and maybe played a traditional style and now they don't have those same maybe leader players and maybe they're stuck not really knowing how, how to suit maybe Jason Flynn's game how to suit Niall Burke's game Brian Concanon's game and it seems to be a situation like that. Yeah, and and 
are not getting enough from midfield and as well David Burke is after having a long year with um, St Thomas's as well and you know he's, he's all action he's flat um, kind of player alongside Joe Canning to really really work well together and, and they're on the one wavelength all the time so maybe he's feeling his loss a little bit as well So, um, but they need David Burke back flying it as well and, and popping up with two or three points from play now he did a couple of wides yesterday characteristically but um, you know they need him firing around the place and Johnny Cohen starting to play in some hard shifts then as well so they need a little bit more around that middle of the field as well. um, so yeah across the board it's not impressive from Galway they've had a very um, substandard league they were, they were quite poor um, and, and this form has been carried into the championship so they're going to take it's going to take something big and they have two really tough games ahead of them you know going to Parnell Park and going to um, going to Nolan, obviously that those two games like they're going to be really tough and, and they still have a bit of one result there yeah no definitely is alright we'll come back with Paddy Power performance of the weekend People do say, what do you love about hunting? Uh, is, it, is it the fresh air? Is it the great outdoors? Is it the thrill? No. I just love killing things. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, Paddy Power performance of the weekend. So there's no nominations. I'm on my own here for Paddy Power performance of the weekend because uh, Brian was having some problems with his Skype line. Um, and we thought it'd be better off to let him go. He'll be ba- he'll be on a better Skype line next week. So I'll just finish off Paddy Power performance of the weekend. So there's only one winner, anyways. There's no nominations from um, the game in Salt Hill. I didn't think anybody deserved one. I thought Connor Whelan got man of the match, but he was poor in the second half. wasn't really in it. He seemed almost embarrassed to get man of the match um, in the post match interview. So the Paddy Power performance of the weekend goes to Shane, Shane Conway. Uh, he got 13 points against Kerry. I saw them on Buffy and Snapchat. He got seven frees, 265s. He got the last two points of the game, one from play and one from uh, 65, I think it was. And that's what was the difference between the two teams. Incredible how whenever he gets the ball, he's just surrounded by four or five Westmead players and he has vision and he's able to pick out a player who's free if he's been surrounded by that many players. So just judging off the Buff Snapchat, um, an outstanding game from Shane and well worthy um, talking of the Buff Egan uh, I'm not on Snapchat but I saw his Snapchat somebody had it up on YouTube um, and it was fantastic to be able to see all the scores of the game so fair play to Buff I'm not sure what this chucky ducky quack quack thing was with the, with the duck so I'm going to have to find out <laughs> what the, what, what's going on with that but speaking of Buff Buff wasn't happy uh, about the Sunday game last night so not only did he tweets not only did the Sunday game not show one second of highlights from the outstanding Joe McDonough game between Weston Mead and Kerry, they didn't even give the result. Despite there only being one other hurling game this weekend, it's all about the fancy dance. You showed what you care about um, hurling. I think Buff was in the same uh, situation as I was after the Leash Offaly game, that when your own county is involved in such a great game and the whole country can't see it and can't appreciate how well your county has done. It probably highlights the sense of injustice. But um, I suppose from Buffy Egan's Snapchat, I got to see some sort of games anyways. But I, I absolutely take his point that the Sunday game has to um, show highlights of the second tier in hurling because that's what the Joe McDonough Cup game Cup is. There's only nine teams in tier one and I don't see why they can't show the five teams in tier two, show a, a highlights package. It's completely 
um, unfair on the players and the teams involved who are doing their best they're traditional hurling counties and they're in tier, tier 2 trying to get into tier 1 and it doesn't make any sense why it's just being ignored it's it, for me it's not good enough for a public service broadcaster to completely disregard uh, five teams in a tour, tier two of hurling it's not all about can't all be about commercial interest with a public service broadcaster because it's not just a commercial station it's a public service station that is paid for by by funded um, in a massive part by the taxpayer so it's not all it shouldn't all be about profits it should be about showing players from all over the country and I think that's completely um, wrong from RTE just to dis disregard uh, the tier two competition on their highlight show and um, I've made my uh, I've made my thoughts pretty clear on that one but obviously it's not changing anything like that so the Joe McDonough Cup players should try and keep their heads up and battle on and maybe it'll be sold a little bit better uh, in a couple of years when the broadcast rights are up again right listen that's all we've time for um, we'll talk to you on Thursday with a preview show good luck And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going. So it opened up. We were only the small little fish out there, so we are. And uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today. Because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. I let it go, cause I won't see you later. I'm not a